Okay, the title of the sermon today is Compassion of Jesus, Good News to the Poor. And if you want a subtitle as well, I've given you on there, Seeing, Hearing and Responding to Those in Need. We're going to be uh, in Luke chapter 7 today. Um, to set the scene for that, we're going to start off in Luke chapter 3 though. So if you'd like to turn there and um, we're going to pray. I just want to say um, I don't come here as an expert Okay, I've been doing this, I'm working for, for Hope Worldwide now for five years. I'm still learning. I've, I've learned a lot and um, I've read a lot and, it, and, and it's challenging to do what we do. And um, so I share things that have helped me. And um, I don't want you to feel that as I'm preaching that I'm preaching at you. <laughs> Very much preaching what's really helped me. And, um, and I hope encourages you to grow and see how God can use you individually, collectively, as groups and as a church and even as a family of churches to glorify God as we seek to help those in need. So let's pray. Father, we come before you um, humbled um, by your greatness in awe of you. We praise you, Lord, that you are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. Father, I pray, Lord, help me to preach your word faithfully this morning. God, I pray that you open up the eyes of our hearts as we're exposed to your word, as we hear your word. Lord, open our eyes as well to see and our ears to hear the needs around us and help us to respond in your strength, by your spirit, and not by human effort. Amen. Next slide. This is what a winnowing fork. This is um, 
There was supposed to be a pit. There we go. Fantastic. So a picture of a winnowing fork. We get the idea that the fling the harvest into the air, and then the, the chaff and the bits of the plants that you don't want that go away, and that the seed that you do want falls down. Okay, so this is an image of judgment. You can read about it in Jeremiah 15, verse 7. And uh, judgment and good news, we might not think, go together, which is quite an interesting thing for us in our day. But John the Baptist was saying that the Messiah will come and put everything right. He would effectively blow away their enemies, remove their enemies, and what would remain were the faithful people of God. And um, and so he would deal, the Messiah would deal with the Romans, that's the way they understood it, and maybe their, their oppressive leaders, and this was this is what they wanted, that, that their, their fortunes, the, those the oppressed, the poor, their fortunes would be restored, their oppressors would be dealt with, and that's what they were looking forward to, that's what the Messiah would do, just like King David had done. Now the question is, was it going to be this way? Okay, and this is an important question for Luke chapter 7, which we will get on to later. Okay. Now, let's carry on in Luke 3, in verse um, verse 19. A little more detail here. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod <coughs> added this to them all. He locked up John in prison. Okay, and that's another important detail for Luke 7. Let me get on to Luke 4. And um, if you're following along in your Bible, it's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And um, he announces his ministry in his hometown of Nazareth. And you can read that in um, Luke 4, verse 18 and 19. So let's just look at that, and let's see what stands out. He's actually <coughs> quoting Isaiah 61, if you want to look at that later, verse 1 and 2. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me, this is Jesus speaking, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Is there anything about judgment here? No. Okay, and that's what John the Baptist predicted, is a, is a judgment. But that's that's not coming yet. And in, um, again, you can, you can see in Isaiah 61, actually, Jesus stops short of that passage where it talks about judgment on the enemies. He doesn't quote it. This is interesting. Then, well, let's carry on. In, um, in Luke 5, you can see, if you're just flicking through, he calls his first disciples... In Luke 6, he starts upsetting the religious leaders of the day. He challenges their understanding of the law. He challenges their understanding of the Sabbath in particular. And we see him teaching with real authority, saying things like, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And he says, Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Be merciful, just as your father is merciful. In Luke 7, he heals one of the enemies, if you like although he was a good good guy, the Roman centurion, he heals his servant. And um, and then in in, um, in Luke 11, which is our, Luke chapter 7, verse 11, we're going to start our passage for today. I'm going to read the whole section, which is verse 7 to verse uh, 30. And as we read, I want you to bear in mind our first point, as you can see there, what do you see, what do you hear? We're not going to put the whole text on screen, so um, you can just listen to it. Um, but we will go through it. Pretty much verse by verse, section by section. Soon. Okay, so let's read. Starting off in verse 11. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. 
When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the buyer they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent you to ask, Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, and I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard John's words, acknowledged that God's way was right, because they had been baptised by John. But the Pharisees and experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves, because they had not been baptised by John. Okay. So our first point, what do you see? And what do you hear? So Luke chapter 7. And we'll start off in verse 12 as we go through this now. So what do we see? It says, as he approached the town gate, the dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Okay. Many of us may know, a widow in those days, in any day, is vulnerable. But in those days, particularly, because it was the men who usually provided, it was very hard for women to support themselves. And she would have had, she obviously knew her husband, and now she had no son. And she would really have no, no, most likely no one to look after her as she got older. Obviously there was no welfare state. And it's the same in, in many countries today, people in that situation. And that's why the early church supported videos, as you can see in, in the book of Acts. And that's it. So we can see Jesus' response. It says, what does it say? It says his heart went out to her. <laughs> the word in, in Greek is, is compassion. And, and the compassion means to suffer with, okay, to be moved in your, in your spirit, in your guts, in your inner self, okay, when you have this physical sense, I don't know if you've ever felt that, where you physically feel for somebody, your heart goes out to them, it's just not your thoughts, it's actually a physical reaction, and that, that this word is used of the Good Samaritan, if we know that story, in Luke chapter 10, it says that the Good Samaritan felt that towards the man who'd been beaten and robbed 
and left the dead. It says when he saw him, he had compassion. Okay, and that, that's what we're, we're talking about. So how do we respond? How do you respond when you see someone in need? When you feel like, oh, I should really do something. How do we respond? It's a really important question. Jesus had compassion. He was moved. He empathized. He responded. Okay, now he was the son of God. He had the power to do miracles, and we don't have his power. But we do have the ability to respond. We can pray. We can move towards the person or the situation to find out more. We can ask about their situation. We can listen to their story. We can get involved and we can help. Or we can, and you know, I think we all do this, we can turn our eyes away because we're busy, because we're, we're not in a good place or whatever, and walk by on the other side. Now, a note of caution and of here that, of course, we can't help everyone. I'm not here to guilt you out like every single person in need you ever see. You should stop what you're doing and help them, because if you did, you would neglect a lot of important people and responsibilities in your life. I'd be late for loads of my appointments. I'd be late home every single night, and I'd be neglecting my family, my children, my responsibility at work if I helped every single person. So, But that's not what I'm saying. Is that Even Jesus didn't help everyone, because he had other priorities as well. But um, it was a central part of his ministry. And as, as his followers, if we're Christians, it's, it's to be a central part of our life. He made time for those in need. He allowed himself to be interrupted to meet those needs. And so how do we respond to the people around us? Maybe in our, in our work, uh, maybe in our, our children's school, maybe in our, on our journey to work or in our neighborhood. Are we seeing with the eyes of Jesus? Is there someone who would appreciate friendship, appreciate someone asking them how they are? And, um, and that's not something that distracts us from, from, our, from the mission or, or helping other people become Christians. It's a central part of it. When I remember when I was a, when I was, um, a student, I was working at, at Selfridges um, because my dad insisted that I earn my own money rather than giving his money to church, you know, fair point. And um, it's funny how God used that because I, I, when I would do those canteen, I would look around, just I'll, I'll talk to the people who aren't sitting with anyone else lunchtime, and, and God used that um, to meet a, a, a guy called Ed, and um, who became a became a Christian, and then he, funnily enough, met another guy that I'd already met, but wasn't doing a very good job following up on, um, To and he became a Christian as well, back, and he was from my university, so there's a kind of irony of God's sense of humour there, I've been taken out of my university to do some work, but actually helping someone become a Christian at my university, even though I wasn't there, so that was, anyway, that's, that's how God works sometimes, okay. Now, it may be, though, that, that, um, that there's people in, our, in need in all areas of, of our life. And are we making that time? Okay, maybe it's a friend of, of a parent at, at school. We've had that. We've seen it in, in local groups that, that um, people have met other, other parents on the way to school, even, and, and helped them to become Christians. Um, one of Natalia's, um, our daughter's friend's parents, has recently separated from her husband. And it's really hard. And, um, and, but we also found that, that she wanted her children to have some spiritual influence in her life. Once we started talking and trying to understand, and we, we can help with that, and we, you know, we'll take things from there. Um, one of the, one of the volunteers at, at Hope, um, yeah, we've got to know, we've become friends, and then he's gone through a difficult time, and, you know, not seen him so much, and he's been ill, so, but it's that, that it's great to be able to, to connect with people and ask how they are and pray for them, and, and, um, and then just, just recently, I just sent him a text, and he called back and says, "You know what? I've decided I need I need to come to your church again. Okay, I really need some spiritual direction in my life." And it's so often that that God uses us as, as we have compassion, as we listen to people and what their needs are, then 
when the time comes, they are, they are then ready to, to hear from us and, and to hear what, what God and what Jesus Amen. can do for you. Yeah, I'll do for them, sorry. And um, so and maybe God wants you to start something. I now lead our, our two-step program, which helps over 260 people experiencing homelessness find accommodation every year. But it all began because one person had compassion. Walter Evans looked at all the people living on the streets in London and thought, I, I don't really know what to do, but I can at least identify with them. He went out, he got JP, John Partington, if you know him, on the street themselves, and, and they went and lived on the streets five days and nights and experienced it themselves. And then some research was done, and then they started doing something, and then a small accommodation program, and now that program houses 260 people a year. So it's really, but it began for one person noticing and saying, well, surely, I don't really understand, but I'll do something, okay? And who knows, maybe in amongst here, that God is... Just between kind of tapping you on the shoulder, putting something on your heart, that you, and you don't know where it's going to go, but you, you could start something, okay, and work in partnership maybe with someone else, and who knows how, how God will use that, okay? But the main thing is you're having that compassion, you're acting out, you're responding to what God is, is putting on your heart, okay? So, how did people respond to Jesus? It says in, in um, verse 16 that they were filled with awe, and praised God and said, a great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding com- uh, country. They said a great prophet, okay? They, weren't, they didn't say he was Messiah. They weren't at that point yet. They thought he was a great prophet. And that's because he was doing what some of the great prophets had done. So Elijah raised a boy from the dead in 1 Kings 17. Elisha did the same in um, 2 Kings chapter 4. They were, had to put more effort into it, to be honest. They had to lie down on the body and pray three times. I mean, it was really intense. How did Jesus do it? He just walked up, touched the, the bio, the, the, the plank that, that, that the body was on and said, young man, I say to you, get up. Okay? So truly a great prophet in their eyes. So we see what he did. He was, he spoke people back to life. No wonder they were in awe of him. Actually, the word awe, I think it's a bit mild in our English translation. The word in the Greek is phobos, which is where we get our word phobia from. So there's an element of fear, of terror, of respect, of reverence. And in our technological age, like um, like Rory was talking about in the community, we can get a bit familiar with God, or over-familiar with God. It's easy to take God for granted with all the technological wonders that we have, and yet we can't create life. We can't bring someone back to life. Um, not really. And um, and so it's important. I mean, I, that's why I love teaching physics. I mean, the more you read about the universe, you, you realize how incredible the universe is. And God just is very understated about it all. You know, he just made it. But as you start looking into it, you think, wow, this stuff is amazing. Quantum physics and how everything's, you know, nuclear fusion and all this kind of stuff. It's just amazing how it all works. But that's another whole hunk of time to go into that. But um, what helped me as well, not just seeing, but hearing what Jesus said, when Jesus said things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, if I came to you today and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, you could think, Roger, who are you invited to preach? <laughs> who is Jesus saying this kind of stuff? And this is what really helped me when I read the Bible. And maybe this is you today, so if you're coming along, you're not sure if you believe. Well, who, who says this kind of thing? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. He said as he was on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And his followers saw him crucified. And uh, we're not at the second point yet, but we're getting there. Um, and uh, saw him raised from the dead. And after being filled with the Spirit, no wonder the world was ever the same again. So the question is, when you're faced with Jesus, what do you see? What do you hear? Was he just a good teacher? Oh yeah, I'll learn some lessons from him, kind of help me out with my life a little bit, some tips, some techniques to help me achieve my goals. 
Is he a prophet? Someone that you're in awe of? Oh, that Jesus, he's great. Oh yeah, really, really impressed with him. But you're not actually following him. Or is he Lord of your life? Are you actually following him? And as we see and hear those in need, and we're moved, how do we generally respond? Do we harden our heart? Walk by someone else's problem? I don't really know what to do. A bit like the, the guy there with the blindfold, a bit clueless. Where do I go? What do I do? Um, or do you walk towards a person and take steps to help, even though you don't really know what to do, but you, you're at least trying to do something? And what do people see in you and hear from you? What do they see and hear of your group? What do they see and hear of the church? If you ask people, you know, what, what the Birmingham Church of Christ, or, you know, our whole family of churches, what are we known for? And I, I um, it's so important, and especially in this day and age, people are so skeptical. I, I met a guy just on our street the other day, and, and um, I told him, you know, I'm a Christian, and said, oh, you know, I'm an atheist at the moment. What, at the moment? That's an interesting thing to say. Okay, there's a little bit of openness there. So he said, and so tell me, what does your church actually do? And what does your group do? And I said, well, we, well, we, you know, we, we have discussions, but we really want to be doing something more in the community, like helping the homeless. He said, oh, helping the homeless, well, that's definitely following Jesus, isn't it? And I thought, that's interesting, because people aren't so much interested in what we believe, um, mostly. They're interested in what we actually do. What difference does it make in your life? What difference does it actually make in the world? And um, so the first point, what do you see? What do you hear? And the second point, how do we respond? And maybe you're not sure. Sometimes I get a bit paralysed. What am I supposed to do? You know, <laughs> And we could be a bit like this man here, where he's got lots of questions, he can't really see what he's, where he's going, he needs other people to help him. And um, so let's carry on in um, Luke 7, verse 18. And we'll carry on reading. So in verse 18, it says, John's disciples told him about all these things, all that Jesus had said, and all that Jesus was doing. And calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask, to, to you to ask, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. And, and we've read all this section before, so I won't um, read it again. But in verse, um, we will pick up on various parts of this um, soon. But I want to focus first of all on, on um, in verse 18 there, when it says John the Baptist told him about all these things. And we think about how do we respond? Do we respond like John the Baptist, like the people, like the Pharisees, like the religious leaders? Because John the Baptist, he responds with a question. Okay, and it's good to ask questions. He says, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Okay, interesting question, and there's lots of theories as to why. I've done some research and commentaries and different things on this. Um, and he seems to doubt. He seems to be doubting Jesus. Perhaps he wasn't. Perhaps he had some other agenda he was doing it for his followers, perhaps. But it seems to be he was doubting. So commentators on this passage have different ideas as to why, and I'll share a couple that I found helpful when trying to understand. So one possibility is that Jesus wasn't doing what John had expected, or certainly wasn't doing it yet. What John... what um, what, Luke had, what, uh, G, uh, what John had predicted, okay, get this right, in Luke 3, he prophesied, the one who is more powerful than I will come, he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire, and we hadn't really seen that yet, and then, and then the winnowing fork in his hand to clear up his threshing floor, and to gather the wheat 
into his barn and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Ha- had we seen this? No. He was bringing good news to the poor. He was healing. Okay. Now, if you want to look into this a bit more, you can read John 12, verse 37 to verse 50, where Jesus basically said he didn't come to judge the world, but to save it. But there, there will be a time of judgment. His, his word will judge at the last day. Okay. So Jesus will come back in judgment, but then he was coming to seek and to save. If that makes sense. Okay, the second idea is that Jesus had said he was going to free the prisoners. And who was in prison at the time? John the Baptist. You might think, what about me, Jesus? I'm your cousin. You can... Why don't you, you release me? So maybe he said to you, what's going on? Okay, where's the judgment? I'm still in prison. What's happening? Come on. Um, so the point here, though, is Jesus doesn't always do what we expect or what we think, even perhaps if you're John the Baptist. And so it's good to ask questions. And we can't ask Jesus in person, obviously, but we can pray. We can ask in prayer. We can talk to other people around us about the questions we have. And it's not good to have questions and doubts running around in our head because they paralyze us. We're so inward focused, focused on our own stuff that we can't. Often that's why we can't help other people because we're like, I'm just working on my own thing at the moment. Just, yeah, I've got other problems on my own. Well, let's talk about those things. Okay. I, I really appreciate having friends that I can talk with, and one of them is, is um, Bruce Miller, who I, I um, he's my, he's a, he heads up the recovery services at Hope Worldwide, and every week we, we collect the, the money that we need, the petty cash for our programs, and we go and walk by the canal, by our office, and we pray together, and we just talk about the things in our heart, how we kind of, the issues we're wrestling with at work, maybe in our, in our personal lives as well, and it really helps us connect, and it really helps me to process stuff, and I've been like, yeah, I'm thinking about this, and I'm not, I'm not really sure what to do, and you kind of feel like, maybe I shouldn't say this, but then... And they said, no, 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 it's funny actually you say that, because I've been thinking this. And then you have this talk, and then it's like, oh, that's so great to talk about it, and to pray, and oh, thank you, I feel so much better. And, that, and that's the great thing about being a Christian, is that we're not, we're not putting on a front, acting like everything's okay. We can talk about stuff, we don't have to pretend that we've got it all together. No, we don't. But we, we know a God who, who does, okay? And we can help, and we, you know, we need experts say like five of those kind of friends and so the, the people who really know you and so, so if you have people in your life who really know you um, maybe you come along today and you've got questions okay I'm, I'm, I love answering questions happy to do that I'm sure Roger and, and Jackie would say that and many of us here all of us here hopefully are happy to, to talk about the questions that we have in our life so what was Jesus' answer though in, um, in verse um, 21 it talks about what Jesus said at that very time Jesus cured many who had diseases illnesses and evil spirits he gave sight to many who were blind, so he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So what was Jesus' answer? Well, look at what's happening. Look at the people who are being healed. Look at the good news being proclaimed to the poor. Okay. I found this challenging, and um, we're going to read this book. It's a very good book, by the way, Jesus and the Poor, by um, by Steve Kinnard. And um, he talks about the compassion of Jesus and for the poor. And about this answer that John gave. Okay, because John didn't, Jesus didn't, Jesus gave, sorry, Jesus didn't say, look, I'm, I'm making loads of disciples, I'm doing lots of preaching. He said the good news is preached, so he did preaching, but the good news is preached to the poor. And he makes the point here, and I, I found this challenging, that this not to say that Jesus was not seeking and saving the lost, he was. However, we cannot divorce the healing ministry of Jesus from his preaching ministry. 
They're two sides of the same coin. The coin is the compassion of Jesus. And so we must be people who, like Jesus, are filled with and moved by compassion. Compassion for the lost. Compassion for the poor and needy. Compassion for those who are unlike us. Compassion for those who suffer from mental illness. Compassion for the old and aged. Compassion for immigrants. If we lose our heart for people, are we still walking in the steps of Jesus? And then he goes on. Will disciples in our churches grow and mature as they all, without proper emphasis on loving our neighbours, as Jesus defined what it means to do so? Will our disciples grow if they are left unchallenged concerning greed or materialism? What would we say to Joe Christian who says, I give to missions, therefore I am evangelistic? Or what might we say to Sally Christian who says, I contribute to the evangelist's salary, therefore I am discipling others? Yet we seem content to allow Joe or Sally Christian to think that their contribution to a charity is the equivalent of meeting the needs of the poor. Okay, that's his view. So, I find that helpful and challenging. It challenges me. So, the poor, the poor, the beggar. In, the, in that, that, that word meant the beggar, that the person of few resources considered oppressed, despised. They were destitute of wealth, of influence, of position, of, of honour. And yet they were the very people of that, of that class, of that situation, who readily gave themselves up to Christ's teaching and proved themselves fitted to lay hold of the heavenly treasure. I'm going to share a little model which helps me now in the next um, page there. And just click again. Thanks, Lumber. So, and again, just click all the way through. So I find this model helpful in terms of poverty. We can think of it just about resources, about lack of money, but it's more than that, okay? So it may be resources. You know, if someone can't afford accommodation, they can't afford food, they can't afford other essentials. But also, there can be a poverty of relationships. And cities especially can be a very lonely place if you don't have friends and family who are able to help you and encourage you. And there's also a poverty of identity. If you feel ignored or have a difficult past, it can really affect your sense of self. And Jesus helped address all these things. And the church, his body, can help address all of these things. If you just click through one for the next slide, so we can see what the church, what, what, what the kingdom of God what the people of God, what the community of God does is help with all of these things. So those um, who don't have resources, the, the, we as Christians can share. We can, we can share, we can give generously. Um, for people who, who don't have relationships, that we can provide friendship, a community we can listen and include. For those who, who have a, a poverty of identity, we can give affirmation and purpose. And one actually leads to the other, I find. So someone might come to you with a, with a physical need of something they need, and we have this at home, where someone needs help to find a house, or needs to help with some money for something, but we can help give them that, and then we can listen to them a bit more about the situation, and start to get to know them as people. And then they start to open up about their real need, which is the sense of, I just, you know, my life, and this has happened to me as a child, and this happened to me growing up, and this really affected how I feel about myself. And and then we're really getting into the, the, real, the real issue. And all these things play play a part together. And people, people's lives are, are difficult, okay? And that helps to have compassion. I want to show one story, share one story now, which is a video of, um, of Curtis. And I want you to listen out for what made the difference in his life. And think about maybe some people around you that, um, that you, maybe through a small act of kindness and a little bit of knowledge and linking people up with others who can help, how you too could make a difference. Hopefully this is going to work. And uh, we've got sound. If you are what you say you are Music is definitely something I'm very passionate about and I think I really I like writing music as well and I like dancing 
Um, I became homeless uh, at the beginning of the summer. I was in a transition of um, going to be transferred to another branch of my job. The way that things turned around where I, I became depressed and um, they, it was overwhelming me, so I went to hospital. And during the course of that time, when I was in hospital, I was told that I would lose my place, so I became evicted, and I had nowhere, I had nothing, no, no, no connections, no family, nothing, no one to help me. So they, uh, the hospital that I was in said that they could help me. Basically, they advised me to go to the bar council just to see if I can get put in the housing list, and I was told that I didn't fit the criteria. It was like some bad nightmare I was having. I, at times, I didn't want to live, but I had to kind of persevere and, and try to get through each night. Every sound that something makes, or you know what I mean, you, you're so alert, you can't even hardly sleep. The, the turning point was knowing that there are still good people in the world, that there is people willing to help you. Yeah, the community, being part of church has really, really helped me understand that I'm not alone. And I've been able to heal a lot more from my emotional hurts uh, by sharing what I've gone through with others who understand and have really given themselves up, sacrificed their, their time, you know, to support me, which I find was really comforting. And that's what I was trying to be thankful for. And that's what gave me the hope to keep persevering. The camera's here and the map. That's when I was introduced to Hope Worldwide, which helped me get on the process of getting me rehabilitated and getting me housed. Where I met the guy who introduced me to Hope Worldwide was in a, a cafe called Esquire's Cafe in Shepherd's Bush, and that was the place that I now do open mic. I mean, you know, the man came in and, you know, he helped me uh, get rehabilitated. And, and so, yeah, I, I now perform there constantly every week. My dreams is to uh, inspire other people. I would, yeah, I would like to pursue the musical career because I believe in in trying to aspire to to do something. If you are what you say you are, I, I now can understand how it feels for when I see a homeless person, you know, um, and try to share that knowledge, share knowledge with other people to try to see if I can help them in, in, in any other way, you know what I mean, then walking by somebody. Because you can have you can have everything one, you know, you could be at a certain point in your life and then it could be all taken away from you. And I think you or I or anybody, could ha- it can happen to anybody. You go back whatever you did, you undo, and be as heavy as the devil only two times two. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, Ah, yeah, that's not my kind of music. So, um, okay, so, and Curtis now is volunteering with us. Um, I spoke to him this week. And um, what's encouraging about him is, as well is that he, he's, he's really gone after, he, he's very happy for us to share this story because it, he wants to inspire others and, and help others know what, what they can do practically. Um, he also, we, one of the great things is, though, is that you can't help people in that kind of situation on your own, okay? So he was introduced by... by um, one of the brothers in, in, in the West region of the church, that someone else who works for, for Hope Worldwide, and then got him to come into the office, and we then referred him to a night shelter where he could stay for a while, run by, run by a different church. And then we were able to find him housing near, near the, the region he's in in London, and um, then he was able to do doing Bible studies, and then we really become um, part of the church. And 
And then, as a volunteer, we then wanted um, wanted to help him as well. So we he wanted to, we referred him to someone that could help with him with employment and, and training advice. And he wanted to do performing arts so with a theatre a theatre program that he did. And then an opportunity came up to audition with a public arts performance in collaboration with the National Theatre. And um, he um, went for that and was given one of the leading roles. So if you just see the next next picture there, I think we'll um, we'll show. This is this is the performance, which is an amazing performance in, in, in uh, at the Queen's Theatre in Hornchurch, um, of all these different people. And then this is Curtis on the right. Okay, and what I love about this picture is you've got someone who, on the a, a couple of years before, he was the guy on the left, effectively just being beaten down by the system, feeling like a nobody, feeling just oppressed, and and then and then now he's he's it really transformed him, taking that role, and then, and now he's he's looking for work, volunteering. He's, He's just so much more vibrant in his life, and um, it's really encouraging seeing how partnership, working with many different people, can, can help these things to happen, and the impact of, of, the, of the church, and helping that, that spiritual impact of people who love him. It's not been easy. There have been lots of been a rocky road. There's been a lot of turns in the road, and, um, that's, you know, so, but we need that, and we can provide that, and that's what the amazing thing is, as a church, is we can provide all those different things, all those different types of poverty. As, as Christians, we can help, and um, we've been helped ourselves. So, Let's get back to the passage. So in, um, in, in Luke um, 7, verse 23, Jesus says, um, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And he seems to be aiming this perhaps at John the Baptist or his followers. The word there in Greek for stumble is scandalizo, which I find interesting. That's where we get our word scandal from. Of course. It's almost blessed to someone who's not scandalized by me. To stumble, to cause to sin, to cause to fall into sin, to offend, to fall away, to go astray, to take offense. And why did Jesus say this? As we said before, it seems like that John the Baptist, what Jesus was actually doing wasn't in line with what the John, John the Baptist predicted. He was kind of maybe losing faith. And, um, and has that ever happened to you? Or you've ever, has this ever been in a situation before? Why is this happening to me? Okay? Okay. So, uh, or you thought that God was going to work something out in some way, and then it's not! What's going on? Okay? And maybe you thought that people were going to be even told people, or something totally unexpected happened. And um, when that happens, Jesus doesn't want us to be offended, to lose faith, become bitter. He wants us to come to him, grow in our understanding of him, and become better. Amen. So, I've uh, many of you may know, in, in August 2015, I went to hospital with what I thought was a bladder infection. And within a few hours, I was di- diagnosed with acute leukemia. Okay, I was transferred to hospital in central London uh, for five weeks. And, and I was not... I thought, what, what, what's going on? Why me? Why now? Okay, I've got a two-year-old daughter. I've got a wife who's seven weeks pregnant. I'm working for a charity that's housing the homeless. Why me? Okay, the sense of irony. The previous year I preached a sermon, all this suffering. Where's the good news? I wish I could come to Doug Jackie's thing on Tuesday, by the way. But, um, so where's the good And I shared that I'd never really experienced suffering myself, but, and then talked all about it, okay? Now, I, that was about to change, okay? Chemotherapy reduces your immunity to zero, you pick up infections, your body doesn't heal, fever, vomiting, the basics of life, eating, drinking, washing, become incredibly painful and difficult. I lost almost all my hair and 11 kilograms. But I, I learned, I learned um, what it means to walk with God through suffering. I learned, it helped me be more compassionate. I have a, a better, much better understanding of pain now. Um, I was blessed to receive visits from friends and family. And you have a lot of real conversations when you're in a hospital bed, okay? Because you, you kind of got permission to talk about real stuff. And, um, and other people do as well. That's the funny thing is you realize when people come to visit you and you end up hearing about all their times of suffering as well and you really connect. And that's a very powerful thing. 
And, um, but yes, so John the Baptist was encouraged not to stumble because of what Jesus um, was doing. And, and after his message, we're nearly done, by the way. I know we're a little bit over time now. But after John, John's message has left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did he go out to the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did he go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. And I will tell you, and more than a prophet. And then in verse 28, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. It's interesting, after John's message has left, he spoke positively about him. It's an interesting detail, so it's good to speak well of people after they go. If you've got any feedback after the sermon today, please tell me now. Today. We'll email me later, that's fine. He talks about indulging in luxury. I just want to mention that it's, it's, it's a temptation for us today. Okay, Many of us, in comparison to Jesus' day, we, we have, we're, we're living in luxury. We have running water, we don't worry about where the next meal's coming from, we've got central heating, we've got appliances to serve us, and advertisers want us to indulge ourselves, okay? To satisfy our wants, okay? I like the Christian age slogan, live simply so that, the, so that others can simply live. And it's good if we live within our means, but I want to encourage us to live beneath our means, so that we can be generous to others who need things more than we do. I'm always inspired when I see people driving old cars and using old technology because they've chosen to, which means they can be more generous with others rather than buying us the latest thing because we want it. Okay. Now, anyway. But, so I do thank you for all those who sacrifice so that, so that you can support the work of Hope Worldwide and, and other charities that, that help those in need. And in verse 28 it says, among those born of women there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least, and this is an amazing passage, this, this bit, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. The word least there in the Greek is mikros, or that's where we get micro from. So like, if you think about it, something really small, that's what the word means, small and the least. And, um, and sometimes you might feel that. I don't know if you've ever felt kind of microscopic that no one notices you. It doesn't make any difference if I'm there or not. Who cares? What, what, what difference can I make anyway? Um, but Jesus, no, he says in Luke 9 verse 48, he who is least among you all is the one who is great. And in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Why? I think when we're weak, we, we maybe notice other people who are weak. We can empathise because we've been through hard times ourselves. We, we maybe ask questions. Um, we have the opportunity for others to be compassionate towards us. We can relate to people. And um, as, as Rory talked at communion, we, but, but the, it's not about who we are, it's about who we are in Christ. Because what Jesus has done, we, our promise, the promises can be filled with him. We can be part of his kingdom. Um, we can draw near to him. We can ask things of him. And uh, so finally, just to close out, it's interesting what Jesus says um, about the Pharisees here. So in verse 29, it says, All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right, because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees, and experts in the law, rejected God's purpose for themselves, because they had not been baptized by John. The word purpose there means plan, purpose, will. God wants us all to live in line with his purpose. And what's his purpose? He wants us to be part of his kingdom. He wants us to follow his son. To bring the culture of the kingdom to earth. To be the salt of the earth. Where we preserve what's good. And we add flavour to life. To be the light of the world. Where we bring hope to those in darkness. And we change the lives of those in need now. 
and then provide a foretaste of how it will be. The time, as Rory was talking about, where there will be no more tears or pain, because we will be with him in a new creation. Jesus had compassion and brought good news to the poor. He saw needs and met them. How about us? How about our family groups? How about our church? How about our family of churches? What do you see? What do you hear? And how do we respond? Let's pray that we see Jesus clearly and follow Jesus faithfully so that people see him in us and hear his word through us as we bring good news to the poor. Amen. Amen.